My guest, Brian Falduto, shares his story of how dramatically his life changed when a movie he had a role in hit the silver screen at age 10. He had a great experience during the filming process, not realizing how the boys at school would react to his character. Now, 20 years later, he's been asked to return for a sequel of the original movie. Listen to the episode to hear how he navigated his way back to self. Hello, Brian Falduto, and welcome to the Authentic Gay Man podcast. I am glad and looking forward to having this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so just so the listeners know, you are or have been a podcaster, and uh, the way we know each other is we met at the International Gay Coaches Conference in May of last year. Are you? Are, I didn't ask. Are you going to be at this one in a couple of three weeks? I'm actually not. I just I just emailed to let them know that I um I I'm actually not going to be able to make it after all. I was hoping to. Um, I'm booking a lot of. I, I just put an album out in March, and I'm booking a lot of gigs around the country that have me really busy. And it was a really hard call, but it just it, it seems like it was just too much to make happen this year. Um, but the beautiful beautiful thing is it happens every year. So I'll I'll be there next year for sure. It happens every year. And just congratulations to you for getting so many bookings that you can't go to the conference. That's amazing. Yeah, I figured it's like a it's a good problem to have, but you know, it was it was a bummer. I I I I really love the conference. I always walk away feeling like a bit changed, you know. So um, but yeah, was last year your first year? It was. Okay. And it was just life-changing for me. I came back from that and immediately went to my calendar and marked off the dates for 23. <laughs> because I said, I'm going hook or crook. I'm going. Yeah. So we danced around it. I guess we ought to probably let the listeners know that you are a performer. You you sing. You, you're in a band. And on, on top of that, he's a coach. So yeah. he has this dual life. It's like, you know, Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing the artist thing. I'm also a coach. To me, they don't they don't feel that different. You, you know, like uh, songwriting is kind of how I dig up my story and and I tell my story. And then coaching is kind of helping other people dig up their story, right? And how how do they want to like live in alignment with with the story they want to be telling, right? So it's kind of like feels like two sides of the same coin to me. But I understand sometimes <laughs> that it feel you know I, I try my best to keep them in separate lanes as far as like social media and stuff goes because I don't want to confuse people. You know, I wouldn't have thought of that, but I love the way you just drew that picture for me. You know how I, I you step. I mean, if I step and think about it, step back for a minute. Yeah, so many singers, especially if they're writing their own music, they are telling their own story. Yeah, Beautiful. totally. Beautiful. Okay, well, so <laughs> I would like to know what it means to you or how you define being an authentic gay man. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think this is an awesome idea for a podcast. Um, I think when I first came out of the closet i did what a lot of a, a lot of us do um you, you know you, you don't all of a sudden like know who you are right just because you come out doesn't really mean you know like 
anything about yourself really other than that you've you've made the first step on knowing yourself maybe but you don't get to flip a switch on like years of not knowing yourself right um so exactly it's kind of like you're just walking through one of those like uh touch tunnels and you're uh uh it's it's there, there was a lot of un- i lived very unconsciously i would say for like my first five years out as a gay man and then i was unhappy enough for a while that i started to like look inward and i started that journey and I think and the authentic gay man is someone who's like doing their best to uncover uncover that inner stuff and wear it on their sleeve in a way that's authentically visible, you know, not necessarily um how they're presenting themselves or or it's it's not so much about the presentation, more just about like um what's informing the presentation, like what's, what's underneath the surface and and letting that come to the surface as often as possible and trying to remove the blockages that keep people from seeing that. Uh, I think a lot of us, as we grow up, we like, we like put on all these layers of protection, right? So just like removing those layers of protection. I don't know. That's, that's, that's what I've got so far. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I, I think that's beautiful. You know, I, I, I love every definition that I've gotten over all of the, the over year that I've been doing this, but I, I love that. And what comes to my mind is I'm, I'm in a relationship now that's a little over six months old. And at one point I remember telling him, you know, I, I wish that you would show the, the rest of the world and our, our friends the same you that you show me, mm. you know, because you present one way to me and you present differently to the other people. And I knew it's because he had a, a level of comfort with me. What he was showing me was the real inner stuff. And we are reluctant to do that. That's a scary thing. But after I said that to him, he began to really kind of lean in and and show our our friends and our our circle more of what he shows me. And, you know, I told him, I said, if you just would show them, you'll have all of them eating out of the palm of your hand. And that's exactly what's happened. Uh, That's very nice. Yeah. I'm in a relationship that's just, just under six months. So uh, right behind you. And uh, um, he recently, just speaking of authenticity, he recently told me that the reason he loves me is because I'm the most authentic person he's ever met. And I don't say that in a boastful way. I just say that in a it was honestly probably the nicest compliment he could have given me because I remember where I was like five or six years ago. And I, I've, I've, I've done a lot of work to try and remove like those blockages that I've talked about. And so I don't know for someone to be able to fall in love with this thing I've uncovered. Um, that is me. Uh, it's just a really good feeling, you know? I have to agree with you completely. You know, when I look back in my lifetime on the varying different compliments that have been given me, then they all are wonderful. But now the one that I get most often is, you know, the authenticity thing. In fact, some of my friends call me the authentic gay man. (laughs) Even my partner, sometimes he'll say, well, I'm going to blah, blah, blah with my authentic gay man. You know, and we get a chuckle out of it, but it is, it is one of the best compliments that I could receive. So I'm, I'm right there with you. We, you know, when we start to get that compliment, we know that our work is paying off. Yeah, that was, that was kind of what I took it as. I was like, all right, all right, I'm doing, I'm doing something right here. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the new relationship. 
Thank you. We're going to Cancun uh, next week. A uh, little little splurge, so it'll be really nice. Sounds wonderful. All right. Well, let's get down to the real reason we're here, which is your story, your personal story. So, you know, my my big question is, what is it that you've gone through in this lifetime that, you know, that has been the hardest thing that you've had to maneuver, navigate, and, and maybe you're still navigating it? Yeah. There's like two different directions I could go with this and like, but I feel like they actually kind of tie together. So I'm just going to like start talking and and see what happens. But, but the, uh, you know, I think the hardest thing I've ever gone through has really like affected my whole life, but it's actually also the best thing I've ever gone through. Uh, when I was younger in 2003, I was in a movie um, called School of Rock and I... I played the uh, the role of Billy, um, also known as Fancy Pants. Um, this was back in 2003 when there wasn't really much LGBTQ representation on screen. Um, and I was 10 at the time. And the movie came out and I had this amazing experience filming the movie where I got to be a movie star as a kid, right? I got to be on stage every day with on set with um, Richard Linklater and the Oscar winning director who encouraged me to just be my most fabulous, authentic self. And that process was me at my most authentic, you know, it was, I was just this sassy, bold, emboldened, um, you know, carefree kid who was really charismatic. And I got cast because of that. Um, and then the movie came out and I had a really different experience. You know, it was 2003 and I went back to, I went back to school after, like back to my fifth grade class of boys. And um, uh, my my character had a lot of like queer characteristics. Um, and so everyone started referring to me as the gay kid from the, the movie. Um, and that was just a really hard thing to be referred to at the time. You know, in 2003, being gay was an insult you know if, if if someone called you gay it was meant to be insulting like they weren't complimenting you and so I didn't even know what being gay meant I was 10 I just knew that it was something that I I shouldn't be I just knew it was like a bad thing um and so I like instantly shut it down and by the time I realized I was potentially gay I was already like homophobic um and so I didn't end up coming out until senior year of college but what's crazy is I know so many gay men who were 10 when the movie came out, who saw me on screen, who got to see someone else like themselves. And they were like, oh, it's so cool to see that representation. But for me, I didn't really have anyone to turn to at the time. And so I ended up like going, I spent a lot of time sort of putting up all those blockages that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. I started trying to put all these protections and just trying to blend in, even though I got noticed for standing out. Um, and to this day, you know, it's this year is the 20th anniversary of the film. And I still get referred to as the gay kid from School of Rock. Every time I put out a new song, I mention I'm an artist. I like the gay kid from School of Rock released a new song. And, you know, the, it's different now. It's, it's it's something I'm proud of now. It's become full circle. I like to talk about it because it it's an important conversation, I think. It's, it's, it's a representation conversation. It's a conversation about authenticity. It, it's cool. But it was a really hard burden to carry for a really long time. And I started to resent the experience and um, yeah, reversing the narrative on, on that for myself uh, was, was, a, took a lot of work um, and it's still not, it's still not completely done. 
you know, they're, they're, they're thinking of doing a reunion in October for the movie. And, um, I would go and there would be press and I'm still a little nervous, you know, it's like, it feels a little bit like reliving trauma, um, for the sake of this memory, but at the same time, it also feels like a cherished memory. It's like, it's a little bit of both things at the same time. Um, and so like, I'm excited, but I'm nervous and yeah, go ahead. I kind of have to wonder if it's an opportunity to completely break through, to just completely knock it out of the ballpark. And, you know, it, it this has followed you around for 20 years. And it's obviously not going to go away if there's still the news is still reporting, you know, the gay kid. Every time you come out with a new song or a new album, it's not going to go away. And this is your opportunity to perhaps turn it into something that works for you rather than. I mean, I can see where it would be extremely scary because the thought is you're going to go through that all over again, but you probably wouldn't. Right. And it's a, it's a different time. And, you know, like I'll post, uh, I'll post stuff about it now and, you know, people will be like, you're an icon and um, all this complimentary stuff. And I get messages from people, but social media didn't exist back then um, in 2003. So when this film came out, all I had were the IMDb message boards. Whereas a kid in the fifth grade, I would go home after school every day and scour the internet trying to erase messages on these IMDb message boards that were calling me a faggot and and um, all these like terrible things that, you know, I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know anything about myself. I didn't, I just didn't want these things to be true because I knew that they would mean something about like my reputation. And it was also just sad because, you know, this movie was supposed to be this really special experience for me, right? And I think a lot of people you know, they want to label something they don't understand. And by tending to their own discomfort in that way, they like kind of took away that from me because they had to make it more comfortable for themselves, more digestible, digestible for themselves. Um, yeah, go ahead. See, I, I think that's kind of what's coming up for me. They had to take it away from you was your keyword right there. And what's coming up for me is this is your opportunity to take it back. Totally. And and I'm excited. Uh, me and my friend were talking. He's a, a fashion designer and he's amazing. Uh, he was talking about maybe, you know, in the movie, I wear like a school uniform because I'm a kid. And he was talking about maybe doing like a like a Britney Spears. Oops, I did it. Uh, no, hit me, baby, one more time styled shoot where I'm like doing like a really sexy, like gender bending school uniform photo shoot, like sort of like revisiting the character 20 years later but really like owning it and being queer about it and having a good time and i was like that sounds like a really fun way to like you know um revisit that but like take ownership of it well i'm i'm thinking you could even like go to the point where in all of your your marketing and social media stuff you could refer to yourself as i'm the gay kid from you know <laughs> Believe me, sometimes just, sometimes I do if, own I, it. if I'm writing an email pitch, sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, so let's let's back up. Are you are you comfortable kind of unpacking some of that? Because I, I think I think the listeners and I think I will too really uh really get a lot out of just hearing the details of your story. I mean, one of my questions was going to be, how long did that follow you? And and then you answered it. It's still following you. So 
I mean, just so in two weeks, I'm I'm doing in two weeks, I'm doing like this QA for a screening of the movie that I'm getting like paid to do, which is like crazy if you think about it. Like when I was a kid, I had no idea that 20 years later I'd still be doing stuff like around the film, right? It's I mean, on the one hand, it's amazing. It's awesome to be part of this movie that's had such a legacy. But at the same time, I've never once entered a social circle where I wasn't the gay kid from School of Rock. So, like, I don't even know what it's like to to not have that, like, as part of people's preconception. Pre, what's the word I'm looking for? Preconception? Pre, uh-huh. Preconceived. Pre, preconceived. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, was that? Was that with Jack Black? Yeah. Is that the? Okay, I don't know if I've ever seen it, but I'm familiar with the title. Now I'm going to have to go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so let's let's unpack and talk about the impact that had on you at the time and how how your family responded to that, um, how you muddled through, how you dealt with it, what you did to cope with that. And just that progression, you know, because you've made this journey from it just kicking the, you know, the wind out of you, knocking the wind out of you to now, you know, sometimes like you just said, if I'm pitching, I lead with that. It's it's become, you know, kind of part of your your signature. And it, it sounds to me like you're in the process of really stepping back into your your power. And I think this movie could play a pivotal role in that. But yeah, let's let's go back to the beginning and kind of track through it, and and we'll just see what it, what what comes to the surface, what bubbles to the surface. Yeah, sure. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, what what was? I mean, the first day you went back to school after the movie, you're thinking you've done this great thing. You mm. show up and and all of a sudden the kids completely, the boys, because it probably wasn't the girls, the boys reacted differently than you might have thought. What was going on inside of 10-year-old Brian? Uh, you know, I've gone through a lot of therapy and and something I really, something I think I've learned is that I got, what was, the issue was that I got really mixed messaging about what made me special, right? Um, my school, you know, the day the film came out, there was like an assembly outside and they like put my name on the billboard, right? It was like, you are awesome. We're so happy you're a student here, right? But at the same time, there was like an I hate Brian club in my class, right? So like people were like hating me for this thing, but also loving me for it. And it's like, we love that you've done this thing. You're really special, but it seemed to be the gay thing that was the bad thing, right? So it's like, it was fine that I was an actor. It was fine that I was in a movie, but I couldn't be gay. Um, and so I had to almost like, you know, I had to really be like, no, I was just acting. And then I had to change everything about myself so that people wouldn't, you know, associate me with the character, right? Um, but really the character was just me. It was just this unfiltered, you know, kid who was just having a, uh, having a blast. And that's what acting is often. It's just, it's just letting yourself be in the role. Right. Um, that, that having to completely shut down who you were, what was that like? It was, it was really tough. You know, it just, I, my brain got rewired, you know, I, it was no long, it, it just became about fitting in. 
you know, before that it was just, a, it was just me being me and not really thinking about it. And then, and then it was just everything I could do to fit in. You know, I recently, <laughs> this is a bit of a side, but I, 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 it, it, I, I think it's, I think it makes a good point. I recently, I'm a big survivor fan. I've never missed an episode in like 44 seasons. And, um, I recently did this like mock survivor where, um, you go into the woods with like other strangers and you, it's not like the real survivor, but it, they put it on YouTube and you like play survivor with like adults. It's like fun. And you like vote each other off and it lasts like five days. And, um, and I was actually really good at it. I was like so good at like manipulating and charming people and like, navigating relationships and I was, <laughs> I was a little concerned at how good I was but then I thought about what I had to do when I was in the fifth grade and that was like instantly turn off who I was and just be who everyone else needed me to be and I was like oh I'm like hardwired for this this is this is what I did I survived my middle school you know so it's it's it felt kind of familiar in some ways you know yes and I can see where you know, the skill to be able to do that would come in handy at times. Like on Survivor, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it just, it would, you know, the ability to morph and, um, you know, I, listeners have certainly heard me say this before, that there's a king size difference between fitting in and belonging. Hmm. I, I I always say fitting in is is like putting a square peg in a round hole. We have to carve some of that peg away to get it in the hole. And we're carving parts of ourselves away in order to fit somebody else's vision of what, who we are and what we need to look like. Um, And that's a tough thing to do. You know, I mean, literally, you're literally like stripping away parts of your own identity and that has far reaching damaging effects. Yeah. And, you know, in my, in my, and, you know, at the beginning of the call, I was like, I don't know what direction to go in. Because uh, I think the second hardest thing I've been through is, like, just navigating dating in my 20s. And the reason I think that was so difficult is because I wasn't looking for someone who liked me for me. I was just trying to fit in with, with, with whoever was available to me and, like, often chasing the wrong person because they were validating me, which is, like, a... a uh, like a pattern of behavior I was, I was used to. Right. So sort of stepping away from that and, um, you know, becoming okay with who I was, regardless of whether I was getting that validation and then building a healthy, secure love, like I'm doing right now, that, that was, that's been like a really hard process in my twenties to try and like, cause the dating arena is where all that stuff's going to come up again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So after having carved so much of yourself away to fit in, how did you come back to you? What were the steps that you took or how did you learn to um, move back toward just being what's real for you? Yeah. Um, music was a, was a big, took a big part in that, you know, um, I got my heart broke uh, in my early twenties. Uh, and I, Kind of therapeutically, I just whipped out my guitar one night and I like wrote a song. And music's cool because you can say things you wouldn't normally say, right? Like it doesn't feel as silly when you're putting it in a song. And so I found like I, I reached in and I I pulled out some like really vulnerable truths. 
And then, you know, one night over a glass of wine, I, I like shared this song with a friend and they were like, oh my gosh, this is so relatable. Thank you for sharing this with me. And that moment of reaching within yourself and pulling out something truthful and then someone else being like, oh my God, me too. Or it, it being a connective vehicle. I kind of fell in love with that process. I started to share my songs with more people. And I was like, and so music kind of was the way I, I was like, oh, people actually do want to see what's going on deep inside of me. And if it's truthful, it will mean something to them. And that, and I, once I learned that, I started to search more for that truth. Um, because, so, so of, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm hearing you say that music was the vehicle that took you into your own vulnerability. 100%. Yeah. At first, it was just like a life raft. Like, it was just like a therapeutic thing. I wasn't planning on sharing my songs with anyone. I was just like, you know, it was kind of, I needed, I was so miserable. Uh, and I just had to get some of this stuff out somehow, you know? And then, yeah, music's a, music's a cool thing like that. So if you, in your mind, run back through some of the songs that you've written can you share one line of a song that really stands out for you that was part of that healing process? Uh, yeah, it's always vulnerable to speak the lines, right? But uh, my very first song I ever wrote is called In My Mind. Um, uh, and well, the first line goes, writing in the notebook you gave me, because I really was, he had given me a notebook and I... I just, I didn't know where else to start with writing a song. And I was like writing in the notebook you gave me, staring at the things that make me think of you. And I don't want to. Um, and then the the chorus goes, uh, go away, leave my head, get up and go like you left my bed. Please don't leave anything behind. If you're going to leave, it's only fair you take what's in my mind. Um, wow. Wow. You moved me there. Wow. Thank you. Um, that's amazing. I'm speechless. <laughs> uh, so I can, I can see where that was a big part of the healing. But that's how were you when you started writing music? Early 20s? Is that? I want to say like 24, 25. Um, yeah, and I'm 31 now. So what was the vehicle that took you before music? Before music, when you were this 10-year-old and this was all happening, how did you work yourself back or, or did you not? Was it that you just completely, you were in this persona of what everybody else wanted you to be for from age 10 until you started writing music at 25? Yeah, like pretty much kind of like, yeah, uh, I didn't come out till senior year of college and I only came out because I was in a relationship, but it was a really toxic relationship. Neither of us were happy. Um, neither of us knew what we wanted or who we were. And it was just constant conflict. Um, and then I was, once I got out of that, I was just, I was just, I was an out gay man. I had come out because of this relationship and now I was just an out gay man. And I didn't know what to do with that other than seek validation everywhere I can find it. So I just, I tried to 
go on dates or have hookups, you know, very, very classic velvet rage stuff, right? Like, uh, just, uh, really just, uh, I had a job at the time. I worked at a radio station, always kind always just like, so, so everything was do or die, right? Like I had, I had to get the promotion. I had to get the guy. Like it was just, there was, it was just like, I was on a treadmill, you know what I mean? Um, and then I just like step, I, 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 yeah, it wasn't until I was like 24 or 25 that I started, started that process of taking a step back. But I, I find myself fortunate because I know a lot of gay men don't really get there to like their thirties. You know, a lot of people are in their twenties are in that you're making a um, face. There's some that never get there. They live their lives out and die and don't ever get there. I think because of what I went through when I was younger and the intensity at which I experienced it. I was able to have sort of like an awakening in my mid twenties, you know, which I feel really grateful for in the long run. Um, and that's why I'm entering my thirties feeling pretty happy with like who I am, or at least the journey I'm on. Right. Um, that, that but, modeling yeah. yourself to be what other people wanted you to be or needed you to be. Anytime we, shut off who we really are to be what will make other people happy. There's always a cost to that. You did that for 15 years. What would you, looking back, what would you say the biggest cost was in that for you personally? It's like a full body answer right now. Uh, I can like, I'm getting like goosies, but I think my mental health was the cost. You know, I, I deal with a lot of anxiety. Um, um, you know, even these days, even, even as happy as I am now, I'm, I'm still dealing with like anxiety on a daily basis. Almost, you know, I have, um, a lot of the, like a lack of self-trust often or, or um, I just feel unsafe a lot, you know, and um, trying to teach my body safety is like a daily, you know, effort, right? Trying to put myself in situations that feel safe, people who I feel safe around doing things that feel comfortable um, while still challenging myself, of course. Right. But like, um, you know, I, 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 to this day, I still, I feel unsafe a lot, even when there's no reason to feel unsafe. And that's, that's a mental health issue, you know? And and that's part of that, that cost is yeah. you just feel unsafe all the time. Where, where do you look for that safety? Meditation has been probably like my number one mostly like compassion practices have been really helpful for me. It's just like uh, the compassion has been like the biggest mental health tool for me. And then just like learning who I feel safe around, learning to trust my body and not spending time with people who, who my body doesn't feel safe around for whatever reason, right. Just trusting my nervous system and uh, you know, hanging out with people who feed my energy and make me feel supported. Um you know, making conscious efforts to, to slow down too. And, and, 
listen to my body if I'm going too fast, you know, and, and if it, uh, you know, take a nap, <laughs> a lot of rest. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, more than double your age. <laughs> and I have struggled with safety issues all of my life and particularly safety in the presence of other gay men. It mm. wasn't so much elsewhere. It was very much an issue of feeling safe in the presence of other gay men generally not specifically, but just generally, a room of gay men would be like a cat on a hot tin roof. And it was only maybe four years ago that I realized I had spent my life looking for safety everywhere, but where it actually lived. I had looked for safe places. I had looked for safe people. I was looking out here. And there was this moment when I had this light light bulb like or lightning bolt is more like it moment where i realized that if i was ever going to feel safe the safe place that i was seeking was inside of me yeah and i had to take responsibility for my safety i was trying to find somebody else to be responsible for my safety and i realized that if i could take responsibility for my safety really create that safe place in here. I don't I, I don't think I realized at that moment what would that do for me. I knew that I needed to take responsibility. I just had this moment of it's up to you. And then when I did just and it was inner child work, you know, I went in and just worked with the little little guy that lives inside of me, reassuring him and that I was I was fucking going to take care of him, that I yeah. wasn't going to let anything happen to him to, to create that safety. It, the weirdest thing about it was I had searched for safety in other people and places throughout my life. And, and it had always, um, it had always been aloof. It had, and that's not the right word I'm looking for. Uh, and I'm not coming up with a word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, it had always been out of reach. I never could quite get there. And as soon as I found and took responsibility and created that safe place inside of me, then everywhere I looked, I saw safety. I saw yeah. safe people. I saw safe places. There rarely now am I in a place that I don't feel safe. I mean, there's occasionally places where I don't feel physically safe. You know, you're on the wrong side of the tracks or something, and you just don't feel safe. Um, but emotionally, it's a rare thing for me to be in a situation that I don't feel safe because it's in here. Yeah, I mean, I have a daily practice of returning to that inner safety through like compassion meditations and whatnot. But it's, you know, I still get, you know, I'm, I get triggered, right? And then it's, it's you know, I've, I've learned a lot about like the nervous system and like sometimes these triggers happen neuroceptively. It's not even like a conscious thing, whether I choose to recognize unsafety, right? So like, Sometimes I just feel unsafe and it's not even warranted and, you know, like on a conscious level. And so I've just learned to respond to that in ways that sort of hopefully advance my healing. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge, you know, um, my, my therapist always says, uh, you know, when we were, when we're a kid, the big fear is that we'll be abandoned, but as adults, we can be abandoned. You know, you can't be abandoned as an adult. You, you're an adult. <laughs> you know, uh, you can take care of yourself. So it's it's. I try and try and remind myself that like a lot of those fears I had when I was younger aren't 
aren't the same, you know, I can, I can, I can handle them now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big part of it. Well, it sounds like you've come a very, very long way. Working on it, working on it. I think I told you right before we hopped on, I had just had therapy before this and, you know, a bunch of stuff came up and it is what it is. Well, and it's a lifelong process. You know, I always get tickled when, especially my young friends say, I'll be so glad when blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. This is a lifelong process. The <laughs> we younger, never arrive. <laughs> the younger queer generation, though, they're exciting. Like, I think, you know, right out of the gate, they're kind of asking, like, how authentically can I show up in this world? It's cool to see some of these, like, these gender queer kids and and everyone who's really, you know, because representation has increased. Um, it's cool. You know, I think... I think it's a, still a really challenging time, but I see a world where like these these kids take over, right? And um, people can just be themselves, you know? It's a, I'm hopeful. Well, we're headed that way very quickly now. It, you know, it could take a turn. You never know where things are going to go, but um, I, I grew up in a small town in central Texas and I came out 43 years ago. And I, it was certainly not, I didn't come out until I was an adult, but um, I was terrorized in school, you know, because I was uh, not the butchest, you know, boy on the block. Uh, and I, somebody forwarded me an article here about a year ago, an article about my high school where there was a, a transgender student that the faculty wouldn't, school board and faculty wouldn't allow them to use the bathroom of choice. And the entire student body was protesting in support of the trans student. And this was in a still backwards, you know, one horse town in central Texas. Yeah. I, 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 the, the article moved me so much that I cried when I read it because I'd had such a different experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. The kids, the kids are onto something. They are. They, 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 they really are. There's a generation now that's seen the light in a manner that even your generation didn't see. It's, it's crazy how so many of the young people are, um, embracing anything that's different than them, whether it's race or gender or sexual orientation, or uh, they're they're embracing it rather than rejecting it. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's a beautiful thing. Well, what would you say? You've done a lot of work. You've come far. You're looking like it's you're going to get an opportunity to be in this second movie what you you've done the work and you continue to do the work we talked about a cost you know of what it's like to whittle yourself away to to fit into a world what would you say your biggest payoff has been for doing the work that you've done the responsibility that you've stood in to say, this is my life and only I can make it or break it. You see a therapist, you've become a coach. 
you're helping others and there's no better way to, you know, we, we teach what we most need to learn. So you're, you're doing all this great stuff. What has your biggest payoff in all that been? Yeah, I think my payoff is that I get to, I get to spread the message of, of love and acceptance and compassion that I didn't have. You know, I do that through my coaching. I'm planting little seeds in people's minds and hoping to, hoping to, you know, have them have, let them have these awakenings that I've had. Um, And also like, I think I said it a little bit, but like what I went through when I was younger feels worth it to me now that, now that I know what it meant to so many people. I, I spoke publicly about my story for the first time, like five years ago. And my interview went viral. I had over 5 million views and, um, and a bunch of people just meant, sent me messages and it just, it just made everything I've gone through kind of worth it. Cause a lot of, a lot of kids needed to see me on screen, even though I had a really hard time, you know what I mean? It, it, it meant something to a lot of people. And so the payoff is sort of the full circle of it all. Um, just listening to a song this morning where the chorus keeps going, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But the verses are all the things, all the moments in her life where like, it didn't feel like it was going to be okay. Right. And yeah, I think the payoff is that it, it, it did turn out okay. You know? Uh, and now it's just about teaching myself that it, that it's still okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, uh, or reminding myself it's okay when it feels like it's not okay. Um, knowing that that propensity for, feeling unsafe is there, but, but the payoff is, yeah, the full circle-ness of it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. If we follow it long enough to get to the full circle, it's a beautiful thing. You know, I had had the awareness at one point that having been bullied for the entire 12 years I was in school, plus some of college, I wouldn't want to live it again. I wouldn't work. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And, but I look back and realize how it has, it was the largest contributing factor to me being the man that I am today. Yeah. Isn't that and weird I, how that works out? I love the man that I am today. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't take, I would, if you could take those away from me, those experiences, I would say no, because it has come full circle, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am if it had been for those extremely painful experiences. Yeah, the man you are today is also paying it forward with conversations like these. And and yeah, I'm grateful for the man you are today. Thank you. Thank you. Do you find that you're, is it full circle enough that you are grateful for those experiences that you had, even as, as painful as they were? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely grateful for them. Um, yeah. Honestly, I'm just, I'm still kind of looking for, you know, blind spots, you know, stuff, stuff I haven't unlearned, right? Or, um, and that work continues, you said, it's a lifetime kind of thing. Um, it is a lifetime. And, and I think, thank God, what would we do? We'd be so bored. <laughs> I mean, what would we do if there wasn't some aspect of, of life to look at and work on. I mean, it's been divinely created so we don't ever get to the finish line because if we did, it would be like, okay, now what? I love that. I'm going to write that down. Divinely created so we don't ever get to the finish line. Mm. 
put my name on it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Oh, this is great. This is great. So if you were going to, obviously there are others who have experienced either what you've experienced or something very, very similar. We know that there, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are people that are going to listen to this that are going to relate in a really, really big way. Coming to the place where you've come now, what is the wisdom bomb that you'd like to drop on the listeners if they're in some type of place or process that may be similar to what you've gone through? What's the wisdom bomb that you'd like to drop? Hmm. Um, it's, it's like a bit cliche, but you know, no one ever stopped and told me that it was okay to be me. So I don't think that message can be said enough. Like it is okay to be you. You know, no one ever took the time to my parents, they they loved me so much. Um, but they were in living in such just as a confusing a time as I was. Um and fearful for you. Fearful for me. And uh I didn't get the message to just be who you are. It was, you know, um they were yeah, worried. They were worried too. Um, I don't. I don't think it's cliche at all. I think what you're saying is pure brilliance right now. <laughs> and and also like um, be who you are. Oh, I forget the second half of what I was going to say. Fly your freak flag. <laughs> um, be who you are, and like. we we're also focused on doing and it's in its moments of being that have really taught me anything about myself so really be who you are you know like um i mentioned at the beginning like removing all these blockages a lot of those blockages are all the things we do all the things we do with our lives right but like at the end of the day we're human beings right and just you know know that you're enough just by being you don't have to do anything to to be more than that you know i love it and i agree wholeheartedly i love it that's beautiful i i hope the listeners really caught that you know be who you are and be with being who you are yeah just just be <laughs> be all right how about some rapid fire questions? Oh man, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. When was the last time you cried in front of another gay man? Oh, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it was yesterday for me. <laughs> yeah, no, this morning. It. Um, this morning I couldn't sleep last night, and then my boyfriend couldn't sleep because I couldn't sleep, and then he told me in the morning, and then I felt so guilty I cried. <laughs> I get it. That's connection. I like that. If you could go back in time and talk to a younger you at any age, what age would you go back to and what would you tell him? Mm. I don't 
don't know. I kind of wish I could visit myself like while I was filming the movie and just like, just drop like a little inkling of, hey, this is a big thing you're doing, you know? Because at the time I didn't know. I was just, I was just in the, I was just, I was just doing the thing, you know? I feel like I wish I, I wish I had known like the 20 years later, you know? I just, I just thought I was having an experience, you know? Like, uh, I think I, w- I think I wish I could have, I don't know. I, I feel like I maybe would have went about it afterwards in a different way if I had known, if I had known all these years later that it would be such a thing still, you know? Yeah. Good answer. All right. What has been the best moment of your life thus far? Oh, come on. That's not a fair question. <laughs> Um, best moment of my life so far. Uh, an answer. That's not a fair question. Did I not play fair? <laughs> um, there's so many. Um, I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a specific reference, but I'm going to have to say the first time I ever really tapped into what I call God uh, through a spiritual sense, which is just being, which is just presence. Um, The first time I ever really just dropped the ego completely. Someone said once on Instagram, they were like, once you go past the ego, there's no going back. Um, uh, and there's just the, the, the very first time I, I, I really stepped outside of it. And I, I was just, I was just, I was just there in the moment. The first time I experienced that, that's probably, I've got to credit that because all of my favorite moments are those moments where I'm in that space. So I'm going to go with the very first time that happened. I think that's an epic answer. <laughs> I loved it. You know, Thank you. I mean, I know it would, have, it would have been easy to say, "Oh, meeting the the man that I'm with right now," but you know, and 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 it, and it, it, you know, let's give him credit; he he does get one of the the big moments. But you know, it's just it's bigger than him. It's bigger than just a love or a relationship, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, in a way, he and I were very spiritually connected, but our egos are also entwined, intertwined. You know, it's it's not it's not the same. You know, yeah. Yep. I get it completely. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. And um, I just want to tell you that I, and and I, I say this with every person that comes on the podcast, but it's been true for every person that's been on the podcast. You are absolutely an authentic gay man. And so I'm so happy to be able to say that, you know, <laughs> to be able to tell you that. Of course, that's from my my perspective, but um, yeah, I, I love your openness and your willingness to to share, and and you do have a a, a meaningful story. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's important. Thank you.